Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. I think my cold is getting a little bit better. Two weeks I've had this. You had a great dose of Zapotex in the last episode. Maybe that helped you. I did. I did. I was Googling some Zapotec uh, home remedies, and uh, basically it's just honey. <laughs> the Chavin had better home remedies, I, I'm sure. Oh, the Chavin with their, yes. Yes, maybe it's too many of those kind of home remedies to get, make, give me this cold. I don't know. But I guess we're not in America anymore because we're going to China. We are going to China. In the opposite of what's in the Americas, there was writing in China. And man, they like to write. They're kind of like blabbermouths. I mean, years we I would look for stuff in China and I would hardly find anything. I'd find one little story. And now... I have this all this information year after year, um, every year a whole bunch of things. So uh, the last episode on China we did, first of all, I did a big review. So I did mention if you guys are, if anybody's starting our podcast in around the 550s here, in the last episode on China, I did a big review. So we don't need to go through that again, but it gives you a big review of where we are now. And it's um, the spring and autumn period. Also, like I said in our episode in Greece, with a lot of big events happening, China is also heading towards some huge events. But in China, things are a lot more convoluted. There's a lot of intrigue. If we went through all of it, it would be boring. We're, we're probably, I haven't found anything this granular on a podcast or video is that we have here. So I don't think we want to get any more granular than we're going to be. But I will, you know, we go decade by decade. So I guess we really do get to live in the in the decade, right? Instead of just... You know, here's what happened over 200 years. You get to live in these decades with us. Right now, we're in the 550s. And what I use 
is called the Spring and Autumn Annals, which were written in Lou, the state of Lou. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Two other things before we get into this episode in earnest. Number one, just take a pause and rate us right now on, if you're using Spotify or Apple, just give us a good rating and tell us if you like the podcast. It really helps us out. I would love to, I kind of like to see this podcast almost double in listeners over the next year. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be super nice. Yeah, so you don't have to give us any money, just tell people. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. Well, I hope for some uh, cross-breeding uh, effect with uh, my Swedish history podcast. Oh, good. So when that is running, I will tell them about this podcast. Perfect. And vice versa. If you um, understand Swedish, you can listen to the Swedish podcast. It's called Nu blir det historia. That means now there will be history. Oh, nice. Or now for history. But Or let's talk about history now. Oh, I wish I could listen to it, but I... I... If you're probably trying to learn Swedish, it might help too. So, oh no, no, our Swedish is uh, not uh, not the best thing to try to learn from. I think. Okay. So, another thing that um, we do at the China podcast for now is I like to give a, a little quote from the Tao Te Ching because I am sort of a Taoist, which is not a religion; it's more of a philosophy. And the Tao Te Ching was. Uh, Lao Tzu was born in around 570, so for about till the end of this uh, century, we'll do a, a quote. So, do you want to read this quote, or you want me to do it? I think I want you to do this one. Okay, I will then. Okay, this is chapter two of the Tao Te Ching, and a chapter is just a passage, so there's not long. When people see some things as beautiful, other things become ugly. When some people see some things as good, other things become bad. Being and not being create each other. Difficult and easy support each other. Long and short define each other. High and low depend on each other. Therefore, the master acts without doing anything and teaches without saying anything. Things arise and she lets them come. Things disappear and she lets them go. She has but doesn't possess, act, acts, but doesn't expect. When her work is done, she forgets it. That's why it lasts forever. I started out good with some things that were obviously true, but then it kind of lost me somewhere by the end. I can try to help you with that. Yeah, the beginning part is like, you know, you can't have good without bad, right? Everything is part of two sides of the same coin, right? You can't have long or short. Like if you have something that's, you have the top and the bottom of a stick and you cut it in half, well, now the middle is the top and the bottom, right? Yeah. So you, that's kind of how that is. But what they mean by the act, so the, the master could be anyone. It doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be a Zen master meditating all day. It could, you could, that could be your mom, you know? She's a master of raising children. It just means that her actions are effortless. They're just like appropriate responses, She doesn't. She's just compassionate, but she doesn't try to be compassionate. She, you know, like she goes her own way, and then she, for example, let's say she was taking a walk, and somebody wanted to walk with her, she would walk with them, and if not, then she wouldn't. It's basically kind of just be like chill, and 
one of the main um, attendants of Taoism is called Wu Wei, which is like action, non-action. Just sort of means let things happen and um, things kind of work out. You know, you can, and action, non-action is kind of like judo. You know, where you don't have, you're not constantly not doing anything like lazy, but just when the time comes to do action, that's when you, you know, you do action. So you act, you have, but don't possess. Like if you have a child, you don't try to possess that child. You know, you, you have a child, but you don't try to own them. That kind of a thing. Mm, I think I understand a bit more now. Yeah. So anyway... That is a passage from the Tao Te Ching. I, I'll put the links to the Tao I usually do in the China episodes. But Taoism is not the kind of thing where, you know, I'm like a, a missionary or anything. I just enjoy it personally. Or a, mo- or a monk. Yeah, or a monk. And I, and, and I don't even understand how there could be Taoist monks and they, they get really into it. And it's like, that's kind of not the point. You know, who's a, there's a book called The Tao of Pooh. Winnie the Pooh is like a Taoist. He's just like, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to have some breakfast. Everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into ch- – well, I actually had to do action to do this, so I wasn't just sitting around, you know, not doing my work. So we're going to talk about the 550. So we got from 559 to 550 in China. And like I said, this we use the, um, the spring and autumn annals, which were written th- – in Lu, maybe even written by Confucius, is said. It could be like, you know, Genesis was written by Moses. It's not, we're not sure if he really wrote them, but that's where Confucius was from, Lu. So another thing I think we'll do is I'll talk a little bit about, because we talk about these states, so I'll talk a, like a, for a second in the beginning of the episodes about each state, so like one each time. So this, uh, Lu, is one of the oldest states in China uh, at this time. It was founded around... Um, in the 11th century, officially, it's, it lasted from 1042 to 249 BC. So they were, the, the first duke was a son of the Duke of Zhou, who was a brother of King Wu of Zhou. So they're like one of these families that, you know, formed this other state many centuries ago. Lu was, like I said, he was, that was the home state of Confucius, which we'll talk about later. So we do know a lot about Lu because of that. Sometime in one of the 550s episodes, we said that we were going to talk about Confucius in the 540s, but we are, we're going to talk for him, about him for a second today, but we're going to probably move him to around 500 because he's born in the 550s, but he doesn't really do anything till he's 50. And there is some political things that happen with him, which is a good transition. Like, so for example, I always, it sounds like I'm complaining, saying this is complicated, but believe me, you don't want all this information. You don't. Like, so just to think of all the intrigue between all these states that are going on, you know, in the central plains of China. Well, inside of each one of those states is also intrigue going on. And we know about a lot of it. So, I mean, there's, you know, four, six major states plus another dozen or so still left. And there's literally intrigue going on in each one of these things. I put a note here. Like, did you um, did you ever read the Three Body Problem? I know that's a that's a famous book. Oh, I haven't read it, but I heard about it. I haven't read it either, and I also heard about it, and I started it at one time. And last night, I was watching like a summary of part one of three of a summary of it on YouTube. It was like thirty minutes. It's freaking complicated. There's so much crap going on. 
you know, and I and I could see how it's going to really get crazy after the next, you know, this whole book, the series. So it kind of reminded me of this. Like, I think just Chinese thought and stuff is just like super complicated and detailed and intricate, and there's a lot going on. It's like, like sometimes they like feel like in other things you're playing checkers or chess, and these guys are playing like three dimensional chess all the time. It's like factions within factions and. People move from one state to the next, and oh yeah, yeah. This uh, gave me an important insight into the history of the 550s BC, because uh, remember the 16 states of Northeast India? Yes, they were probably just like this. There's probably probably as many intrigues and stuff happening there, but they have no written language, and the Chinese right. do. So all this intrigue comes down to us from China, but not from India. That's a good point. And then you, I think you even mentioned before this, the way the Chinese system is set, set up. It would almost remind you if like Greece had a king and everybody sort of had because each city state is its own. And obviously each one of those has their own factions and drama happening. Yeah. The only thing similar the Greeks have is like the Olympics would holds them together. And I'd say like the Oracle of Delphi, you know. I also think the Greeks are have a much easier time avoiding each other than the Chinese or the Indians have. Yeah, true. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. So, and it's a different culture. They, the Chinese, um, they respect their ministers it's a very you know you don't really hear about ministers of assyria or ministers of babylon once in a while you hear something but this this is like the whole story is the different ministers you know and it's it, it is just very different so and i think as westerners it's a little harder for us to for me anyway but i'm i'm really trying to live in that world i'm doing these the best i can for you guys and like i said about greece too like we're heading towards some big events in china we're also heading towards big events But they're just going to take longer. <laughs> uh, we're still in the spring and autumn period, which goes from like 770s till 476. And we're in 550 now. So we're getting towards the end of the spring and autumn period. And honestly, the next 50 years are kind of, 
I mean, if you get into each detail, they'd be exciting, but they're kind of boring. There's not any like huge major battles. There's there's some conferences that are interesting and things, but right now there's a lot of jockeying and a lot of fighting happening. This era is called this era of the middle period here of the spring and autumn period is called the age of encroachments, which is goes from 643 to 546. There is something happens in 546. Why that? It's there. Oh, that's soon. Yeah, right. So we're at the end of this era. And then at the beginning of 476, when that happens, is that's the Warring States period. So like in Greece, how we're barreling towards the Persian Wars, now we're he- we're heading towards the Warring States period, which is still another 60, 70 years away. And that's when the states will start to die out, right? Yeah, and and then, well, so right now what it is is you have the kings of the Zhou is still technically the king, and all these people are dukes. So there's still some sort of civility. They still have meetings. They're not supposed to conquer each other, but even though they do, um, eventually it'll just get where they're just get rid of that, where each state is actually a king, and then they could just, you know, just do whatever they want to each other, and they really go at it. So that video game is shaping up from the to be to be the you know Warring States video game, which I'm pretty sure they've made video games of that. Oh yeah, yes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go through this, and then if somebody you know messages me and says, "Bernie, don't ever go through this decade by decade again. I hate it." Then you know have, let me know. I'm going to go through it, but I'm going to try to make it not boring. And if Dan talks to me and we ask questions, maybe we will. This will be a very interesting because I've read this about forty times, and I keep finding a little interesting things. So, <laughs> so yeah, you ready to get started? Oh yes. All right. So, but I'll tell you if I tell you like it says the thirteenth year, that's of the Duke of Lu, because that's how these annals are done. So I try to correlate them to the years, and of course, you know they may start their year at a different time, so they may not be exact. But basically, we're we're good. So, and this is the year 559. And I'll say it this time, but I probably won't say it because pretty much in every year, it starts off with the Duke arrived from Jin or the Duke arrived from the meetings because the Duke is always has to go to meetings because Lu is a small state. It's a, it used to be a very powerful state, but it's not as powerful as it was before, but it still has a lot of, you know, cultural influence and it's in the center there. It's near Jin, it's near Chin, but it's more near Key, Q-I, and it, but it's near Jin, and it's really in the center with a lot of little other powers there. People have to cross to get to, to the other ones, and Chu in the south is the other big rival of the northern states. So, so the Duke has a lot of work to do to stay alive. Oh, so much work to stay alive. And like I said, there's intrigue going on inside, so we, we have all that. So yeah, he came back from his meeting. In the summer, we took Xi, which is a small, um, another little state. So we have we have a death here in autumn. Now let's see here. It'll say the Viscount of Chu, but other times they'll call him the King of Chu. So he's really the Chu's more of a king. So the King slash Duke of Chu died, and the last thing that happened is there was a city called Fang, and they walled it. They put one a wall up here. This is not the wall yet, but this is a wall that they put up. We may talk about a wall later. Oh, I hope. I, I long for walls. <laughs> so 
Yeah, the king. This is okay. I, this is one of those little stories I had to try to keep in there. The king, the king. So King Gong of Chu dies. He was succeeded by his son. Um, he'll be known as King Kang, the brutal, right? So what happened is when he was sick, the, remember how they have a, a posthumous name? They give them a name after they die, which is something. He was sick and he was saying, please, he said it like five times. He said, I was bad. I made this mistake. Um, I lost our army, you know, whatever, some time ago. So I would like to be called Lee or Ling, which we said before, Ling means like it's stupid or dumb or fool. So... Then he did die, and the people who, you know, his officers said, you know, he said he said he wanted to be called fool. And he said, yeah, but he's so humble. You know, he's so reverent. Let's call him humbly reverent. So that's why he ended up with the name Gong. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to be called fool, but he's so nice that they called him Gong anyway. And that's the problem with posthumous names, that you don't get to have a say in them. Exactly. I have something here about these two barbarian tribes because they're sort of involved. Well, I do love myself some barbarians. Yeah. So let's talk about these. This quickly. There's two barbarian tribes that get mentioned in here, and the one is called the Yi people, and they're still around actually in China. They're they're not ethnically Chinese. They're they speak a language that's closer to uh, Burmese, and they're still around. There's, I think there's like nine million of them still left. They're from the south. Because they're near like the Vietnam Burma area, so they're from the south. So they still have these barbarians there, and there's another group called the Man, and they're the Southern Man. This means literally Southern barbarians, because Man means barbarians, and they were an ancient people that lived in the south and the southwest, near mainly around the Yangtze River. So they are in what is today China. Yes, they. Oh, what was interesting about them is they tattooed their foreheads, had inward pointing feet, and ate raw food. Uh, okay. So here's another. I'm, you know, I may not go through, have so much going on through, um, through each year, but this one was important, too, in the beginning here. As I've mentioned this before, so Wu made a raid on Chu. And it doesn't even really say that in the list of things, but that's what's partly happening here. So Wu is... Uh, to the east of Chu, down there in the south. And right now, Jin is the most powerful state up in the north. And Chu, is, which is always like, you know, their nemesis, is in the south. And Chu is near Wu. <laughs> and Jin has been, like, beefing up Wu to make trouble with Chu so that they don't have, you know, necessarily fight them on their own. So Wu made a raid on Chu because the king was dead, and there was a battle fought, but Wu had a great defeat. So they lost. They lost this battle. Later on, maybe 50 years from now, there's going to be some more, some bigger battles between Wu and Chu, but this particular one, uh, Wu lost. They did not win. We're going to move on to the next year, and this wasn't in the, in the, ancient texts, but I was listening to a China podcast, and somebody said that Chu becomes a hegemon in 558. I don't think that's true. I didn't find that anywhere else. The reason I left it in and I'm talking about it is because we're going to see right now, we're sort of at the end, I think, of Jin's superiority. They're still superior, 
but they're not the number one. And this is also kind of the end of the hegemonic system, which it's getting really to the end here. There's no other countries or dukes listed anymore as a hegemon, which is in Chinese called the Ba, which means that you're basically in charge of the states officially from the king of the Zhou. So right now, unofficially, Jin is kind of the hegemon, but maybe this person said that just because of this time and Chu's starting to make a resurgence. But as of technically, I've not seen anything that they were actually a hegemon. And actually, that system is probably pretty much to an end right now, which is why I'm bringing it up. All right. All right. We have a little fan of astronomy thing here that we, that we know. is on the 8th of January, 558 BC, there was uh, an eclipse of the sun. And did they talk about it? They wrote it here. Oh. Yeah. That's so helpful for dating. That's right. amazingly good for dating. And that one is, there's a bunch of them in this decade, but some of them, they are not true, but this one is true. So there was definitely a, a and it's funny because the Chinese, are, they're into like portents and things like that, but they're not very religious. There's not like a, the moon god or the sun god or any of that stuff. That's another way they're so different. So um, in the summer, all the states, a bunch of the states, Jin got a bunch of the states together, and they invaded Qin, Q-U-I-N, Qin. There is also a, and I'm going to tell you about that stuff in a little bit. You'll see this a lot, and I may not tell you every time I see them. A body of men from Zhu made a raid upon our eastern borders, meaning Lu. And this was in defiance of Jin. So you see that Jin might be losing some of its authority over some of the little states. Hmm. Remember, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it seems like that. Chu is doing advancing things, and Jin is on the retreat. Yeah, it is. And Jin is supposed to try to keep everybody together, because technically they're supposed to be the most powerful state. And they still are very powerful, but they're not. And Qin is coming up, and Qin is right next to um, Jin. That's to their west. Because of that, and they're, you know, constantly fighting with them, they get their other states together because they are in charge. And if you, they're kind of like that too. If you, if you say like, ah, I don't want to invade Chin, oh no, then the Jin will invade you. At the same time, though, like I said, um, Ju is raiding Lu. It's like crazy. There's different um, terms, though, they'll use. Like a raid is a small amount of people. Here's how they do it, actually. I'm going to tell you this. So like when it says they took something, that means they usually like took a small city or something. But then it means it was done with ease. If this says extinguishing, then it means they completely, you know, destroyed it. And then sometimes it'll just say entering, and that means it wasn't retained. So there's all these different words that they use. It's And probably they're symbols, and you could translate them in two different ways. It's brutal. So what the story is going on here is, so there was a meeting in the very beginning. So Jin called up a big meeting. And Wu wanted to be there because they they lost. But it turned out what happened in the meeting was that Jin just wanted to continue to use Wu against Qin. Ha <laughs> ha. Let me take that over. <laughs> okay. The, re- the purpose of the meeting was called for Jin, not really for Wu, because they wanted to make use of Wu against Chu. Yikes. 
Anjou is always that powerful state in the south, right next to the man barbarians. Exactly. And they're often thought of like, they're sort of looked down upon by the Chinese and the other states because they are, they were barbarians there. They've taken over barbarians. But by now they've also taken over, you know, sent the, the, the ducal states as they call them. So, and they've also agreed to be part of the rights of Zhou in the last decade or the one before. So they're still looked down upon, but they're actually one of the, they are one of the players, but they do keep incorporating all these barbarians. They are definitely growing in strength. Yes, they are. And then at this meeting, it was an interesting little story too, because it talks about the wrong barbarians. That's R-O-N-G. I know you've talked about them before. Oh, yes. The wrong barbarians just basically means they're from the Northwestern. There's different ones. So one of these wrong, R-O-N-G, chiefs was supposed to go to the meeting. um, And the Jin said, we don't want you there. If you do come, I'm going to arrest you because of, you know, all this other drama happened. The wrong, this was interesting, what the wrong guy replied. He said the, the Chin had drove out the wrong of their territory and that the Jin were nice to them and let them move in their place, you know, live, live there, and that they always helped them. And then this little quote, he says, he helped them fight the Chin. He said, as in pursuit of a stag, the people of Jin took Chin by the horns, and we, meaning the wrong, took it by the feet. And along with Jin, we laid it prostrate on the ground. Why might we not expect to escape such a charge as you bring against us? And then he says, Our food, our drink, our clothes are all different from those of the flowery states. We do not interchange silks or other articles of introduction with their courts. Their language and ours do not admit of intercourse between us and them. What evil is it possible for us to have done? And not to be present at the meeting will not be a grief to me. So then the ministers of Jin changed their mind. Oh, yes, you're right. And then it just I think it's interesting because it shows how the chiefs of these tribes could be present at these meetings, but there's never really a, in the text, it never said that, you know, that they were there. So the barbarians are even a part of this mix too. There's another little quote here. I'm just going to tell you because I thought it was interesting too. And maybe you could, what your opinion is. There was a, one of these battles, they said, and they united in advising the forces of the states to cross the Jing, the Jing, which is a river. This was done, and the army then halted. But the people of Qin had put poison into the stream higher up, in consequence of which many of the other soldiers died. Wow. I mean, wonder what kind of, right? what kind of poison did they put in the river? That's chemical warfare. Right? And very efficient to be in 550 B.C. Right. I thought that was so interesting. Like, where do they, what kind of poison is it? I don't know if it was like the hellbore that they did in our other one, but they'd had to be drinking the water, so. Yeah, and putting poison in a body of moving water sounds very inefficient. Seriously, especially in 550-something B.C. Yeah. So, um, there's there's this strife happening now between the Jin and the Qin, and that they call it the expedition of changes and delays it's just like sort of like a cold hot war maybe like the phony war they call in world war ii it's just there's kind of having battles but nothing big so that's why they call it the expeditions of changes and delays so what does chu think about this so chu thinks 
there's another like there's going to be there is another battle because Chu then invaded Wu, but they lost. So the invasion didn't go well. Same as Wu invaded Chu and they lost. Apparently, the defenders on this battle, these two battles, uh, were the victors. Uh, as far as I could see, this is the first time the Chu and Wu fight, and there's going to have some big some drag outs, you know, in the next decades. So this was their first one. Probably bad for both. Uh, yeah, it's some cool drama. Yeah, it is. It's some, I feel, I have to have to say though, I, I, as sometimes I read this stuff, I get depressed because I feel bad for the regular people. There's always these wars and these battles and they're like, oh, I put this guy to death. You know, it's like, gosh, give guy a break. So we're into 557. There's some, again, some of the same kind of stuff happening. There's a wall built, still not that wall. There was a wall built. Um, around the suburbs of Cheng. That's another state. There's another uh, another eclipse of the sun, apparently, on May 23rd, 557 BC. A body of men from Zhu invaded our southern borders. And that was like, again, invaded, so they didn't really take anything. They just sort of tried. And then, this is important, the Duke of Jin died. So he died in 557. Oh, so now both Jin and Chu have new leaders. Yes, that is correct. There's a bunch of people die in this decade. They say that maybe the eclipse, the, the eclipse definitely took place on May 23rd. It was 557. It was actually written, they had the wrong month in the, in the thing, but I guess it's been figured out. Hmm. All right. So in that uh, decade, it's pretty much more of the same. Except we had a guy die. Oh. Then the next year, they had to bury the Duke of Jin, so everybody had to go there. And the Duke of Lu had a meeting with the new Duke of Jin. Not, this isn't um, Chin, this is Q-I, Qi. They invaded our northern borders, meaning they invaded Lu. So this would show that now, because Jin would be to tell them they could or couldn't do that, and... Jin does not want them to do that, but they did. So now they are at, kind of at odds with Jin. So Jin is, like I said, kind of losing their hold over everybody. It's all falling apart, the alliance. I think it is. And I think part of what we're going to see somebody being born into this, you'll see why it, sort of their philosophy came about. And then I'm talking about Confucius. Hmm. All right, you want to move to 555? Let's do it. Yeah, let's move to 555. Guess what happened? A body of men from Song invaded Chen. As you can see, there's just all kinds of things. Also, the Duke of Zhu, Z-H-U, that's a small state. He died. There was an, a, a force from Wei, W-E-Y, invaded Kao, C-A-O. Qi again invaded the northern borders of Lu and laid siege to the city of Tao, T-A-O. And then they also laid siege to the city of Fang, which is a good thing they walled it. Yeah, that was clever. Yeah, good timing. I love this grand sacrifice thing. Yeah, I was just going to say there was a big sacrifice for rain. So that that probably shows that there was a sort of a drought going on. Did it work? Yeah. I'm they I'm not sure what they sacrificed. I, I, I don't really know. I think you know they had cauldrons and they would you know sacrifice animals and 
probably have, you know, farm goods and things like that, but they, they definitely didn't sacrifice people. So we, at least we know that. Yeah. So here's the important part though, here on where I said, so when, when Key invaded Lu, Confucius' father, his name is Shuhi, he was a commander and he led um, forth 300 men at arms and made a night attack on the army of Key and was successful. Oh, good job. Yeah. Confucius' dad. Confucius' father. So we are in 554, and a representative of the White D barbarians came to Lou to speak with the um, Duke. Why do the barbarians want to speak to Lou? Isn't Lou like uh, not at the border? No, I know. It just says that it was the first time they had sought any intercourse with Lou, and nor are they ever mentioned again. <laughs> it, it's not said that they came to the court of Lou because they knew nothing about the ceremonies current among the states in China. And when you say this, I mean, you had all these ceremonies. You had to like put your head down three times, gong a gong. There was all these things. So that's the, that's the first they talk about it, but they, I know it must have been like city comes to the country, right? Or country comes to city, I should say. Yeah. And again, they, you know, key invading them. It just seems that that these repeated attacks on Lu were to make, were to get Lu to stop being in the camp of Jin and, and, you know, be friends with Ki, which I don't understand how, like, invading makes you want to be friends with them, but I guess I do. It's more like a protection racket, you know, where they say, well, these Jin, they're not helping you. If you don't want me to, you know, keep invading you, why don't you be our friends? So that's how these small states had to deal with. What a mess. A mess. Now, the year 553 has a whole bunch of things going on. And one of the mean, and then I'm going to let you talk about something. One of the things that happened is they had another meeting and they made a covenant, Jin, of course, saying, you know, we got to keep this stuff under control, basically to the effect that the great states should not make any raids on the small states. So don't try to gobble up any, no, you big states try to gobble up any small states anymore. This is starting to sound like NATO, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> everybody like together <laughs> against the evil Chew. But yeah, but it never, but they know, but nobody like, ever um, seems to follow the rules. All of a sudden, though, somebody will, you know, attack somebody or raid somebody. or Sometimes they call them ruffians. They'll say ruffians came around to our suburbs and things like that. <laughs> but um, one other little line here, which was interesting, it was, you know, in a battle and a guy, you know, his name is Wei. And it said that he was made a pickle of in the army. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> so I guess somebody they do pickle people. <laughs> I guess they killed him and made him a pickle. Pickled him. They still do. Yeah. So that was a thing. But in this decade, um there seems to be a lot of wall building. Oh yes, walls. You seem to think something about a wall happening around this time. Well, uh, we are waiting for the Great Wall of China. But that is a bit in the future. You have to get the first emperor for the real big effort to wall all of the northern border of China. But the Chinese are already familiar with the techniques of wall building at this time. They started already in the 8th century BC. And here in this decade, 
the Chu Chuan, which is uh, another work of this time, describes a Jin invasion of Qi. And the Qi had built a wall. And this is claimed by later work to be part of the Great Wall of Qi. Oh. Because Qi will build something called the Great Wall, but it's not the Great Wall of China, but another predecessor. But the original work never claimed that this was a Great Wall. Okay. But there's wall building, for sure. They are working on their skills to build the greatest wall of all time. I, th- I saw something, and I'm going to to look it up again for another time. There was like how many Legos it would take to build the Great Wall. It's quite a few. <laughs> if you understand Swedish, I've done two episodes on the Great Wall of China in my sleep podcast. Oh. So you can fall asleep while listening to me talking about the Wall of China. You know what I was thinking? I was just, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know what would be a good one for maybe to do? You could do um, Herodotus, because then you'll actually get to read Herodotus, the whole thing, and... Herodotus always puts me to sleep whenever I listen to it. True. I, there must be a Swedish translation, right? I would think. Yeah. Because yeah. he definitely puts... I mean, I listen to it because it's so interesting. And anytime I listen to something super interesting, it puts me to sleep because I have to think too hard, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure. So... But there are like three references to walls here in 553. Yeah, so... The Lu are walling their western suburbs. They're walling the... Town of Wucheng, I guess. And there there was another wall thing, right? Yeah, those western suburbs of Wucheng, and there was another one. They walled... Uh, or maybe that was earlier. I thought so, but it's probably the year before. Yeah, but there is a lot of wall building, because as you can see, there's a lot of, you know, raids and stuff going on. I mean, I would think, like, walls are very helpful for raids. You know, like, if you have a giant army with siege engines, walls are helpful, of course, but you need big walls, but... You know, if you're just going to have like 300 guys come and if you have some decent walls, you can probably stop them. You can, of course, keep away the the quick raiding parties with walls, but you can also channel the invaders with your walls. And that is uh, a common use of walls in China. So you know where the invaders will show up because oh, okay. your walls force them to show up there. Oh, yeah. And then you can concentrate your forces there. Like a desert kite. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, just with people. It's like those, I like those tower defense games. You ever play those? Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's kind of like that. I do, I like that. So um, the next year, we do have a um, another eclipse. It says it took place. I don't know how there could be so many eclipses. They, can, they can't be total eclipses. Yeah, they must just be small ones. It says 25th of August, BC 552, another eclipse. And then... Here's an important thing that happens. And then, I, I mean, it's, like I said, it's no point in going through all these things that happen. There's, you know, there's forces, there's another battles, there's, there's raids, there's all this crazy stuff happening. But who is born in this year of September 28th, 551 BC, is the traditional date of the birth of Confucius. Unfortunately, Confucius doesn't have a father for long. His father dies like three years later. So Confucius is, you know, becomes, uh, is a toddler eventually to a widow. So he kind of grows up poor. But this is when he's born, into this madness in the state of Lu. But when uh, you say traditional date, what does that mean? That's what they say. It's the traditional date of the birth of Confucius. Um, 
it's obviously one of those things where maybe they don't know the exact date. He's he didn't have a birth name that started with his month and everything. So traditionally, the Chinese say that that was his his date is September twenty eighth, five fifty one. Maybe they just you know made that up for a thing, but he is definitely born around now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And this is interesting comparing him to Siddhartha Gautama, that uh, Confucius seems to be a much clearer historical person. We even have his writing still, right? Right. I mean, even they even say that what we're what we're talking about now was supposedly written by Confucius. We'll definitely do. We'll talk about Confucius. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll like, in about the five hundred. He's in. His, he's like fifty. That's when he really, you know, starts to do things. But maybe we did say we talk. Maybe we could talk a little bit about his, you know, ch- childhood or something. We don't know like how he, his childhood, but we do know when he was in his twenties and you know the things like that. So we'll talk about him after, but. Um, I do have a quote. I think we'll do some Confucius quotes too now in China. Oh, please do. Yeah, so Confucius says, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. That, of course, sounds very nice, but uh, incredibly hard to do. Yes. It's basically the golden rule. It's a way to say, like, don't do to others what you you would not do unto yourself. I still can't uh, stop thinking about how how clearly historical Confucius is compared to Buddha, that uh, people differ for 500 years on the birth date of Buddha. Right. Whereas Confucius is born on September 28th, 551 BC. Right, right. That's a big difference. Well, Jesus was born on December 25th. (laughs) He isn't. (laughs) That's just a Roman conspiracy to... I know that. Or a, a a Christian conspiracy. Well, Confucius was definitely actually a person. I mean, we know he was a minister. He eventually does become a minister of Lu. And we know he had his father, who his father was. And the Chinese were, you know, as we see, they were writing a a lot. So we could definitely feel pretty confident that Confucius was a real person. 
It will be so interesting to see what made him so special. Why do we even name the word confuse after him? Probably because he tried to read this whole podcast script. (laughs) (laughs) He must have been an exceptional person. Oh, for sure. I've been reading and watching a lot about Confucius. He is. I mean... I'm Taoist more, I you know, but I could see where his where his thing came in. And he, Confucius was a humanist, you know. He believed in the goodness of humans, um, but he also believed in this ritual. The ritual was very important, and it, it was mostly though just to keep the peace. Because you see, like I said, he was born into this, and the next fifty years is just more of this, just you know, this one, that one, this one, Chu, Jin, Mu, Mao, Ming, <laughs> so anything, <laughs> you know. So these are all like little stories, right? So here we are in uh, 550. I'm just going to tell you, you know, it's the same stuff. We have. There's no battles, though. The wars have stopped for the last two years. So that's interesting. It seems like there's no, not, no raids or anything that are, that are written anyway. But one, one of the things here, it says, Chu put to death its great officer, Zwishu. And the interesting story of this is, I think I could tell you Apparently, this, this guy was, he was a minister. And it just seems like with all these factions and stuff, there was another minister. And it doesn't really say what they did, but maybe they were involved in some bribery or something that was not right. And so the king knew that he had to do something with him, the king of Chu. And so, unfortunately, the king's chari- chief charioteer was this guy's father. And every time the king saw this his charioteer, he would say, he would weep. It's isn't it funny too. All these stories, like not just China, like in the Bible, all these kings are always weeping. They're like he would weep every time he saw his charioteer, and his charioteer said, you know, to the effect of, "Why do you weep every time you see me?" It's like five times. He goes, "Well, because you know what's going on with your father, and I feel bad, and I don't know what to do, and I think that you know, he, you know, I'm gonna, he's going to have to be executed or something," and so. The charioteer says some things, you know, basically with honor. It's like, you know, you're the king, you're my king, I have to be loyal to you, and blah, whatever. So the king has him publicly executed, the father, and the other guy, he has him torn apart from four chariots. So basically tied four chariots to each corner of him and ripped him apart. And then in the end, the son retrieves the body, but he also commits suicide because he wasn't loyal to his father. I mean, it's just like crazy. You can't win, whatever you do. You can't win in this old Chinese history. So I just have one more thing. And this is December 30th, 550 BC. It says there was an eclipse visible at sunrise. Another eclipse. Another eclipse. So... I'm not sure what all these eclipses are. And I haven't seen that many before, so for some reason, there seems to be a lot of eclipses. The decade of the eclipses. Yeah, the decade of the eclipses. So that's it. That's it for the you know individual details. Basically, I could sum this up as, you know, between 559 and 550 was a lot of military conflicts. The political alliances are still swirling around. There's a bunch of natural phenomena. There was an earthquake. I didn't mention that in one of them, but there was an earthquake. It just shows you the the interplay of the power po- the power plays between all these states and even internally between the ministers. I mean, Lu had a battle like you know almost 
there's almost some battle, like not just Lou, but everywhere, but Lou might have been involved in like one to four battles every year, except for the past two years. It started, you know, with a lot more battles and it ended up with a little bit less. There was these covenants always being made. Um, a couple people died. We had new. We have new dukes and kings. Maybe, maybe everything will be more peaceful in the five forties. It will. There's going to be a big conference coming up in five forty six, which I know some about. But I'm going to. Um, I'll study it more uh, before then, obviously. And I think you could say now, and maybe that's what will happen in that conference: is that we're really getting equal to. Jin and Chu are, you know, they're 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 more equal. Where Jin has been in charge, basically, of the states for all this time, and you see that Jin, Chin, Q I N, you see how they've kind of been battling. I think you'll see where we said is the, the encroachments and enhancements that thing. I think you're sort of I said it was like a phony war. I think you're going to see that Chin, and Jin are kind of equally matched. But Chin knows that it's not really enough to continually to take on Jin, so it's going to sort of slow down the, their power. But Chin is ne- obviously not going to go away. It's amazing that the important event of the next decade is a conference. That doesn't happen in, uh, in the Middle East at this time. You don't see Cyrus calling a conference. Yeah, good point. Inviting the Pharaoh and the Babylonian king. Never. I mean, the Greeks probably have conferences, but they're right. The, they, well, they just conquer you over there. Yeah. And everybody speaks a different language. True. You know, this is the time. So this time, I think I mentioned it before, too. This time in Chinese history is when the man, you know, they each have, you know, regional languages, but the official Mandarin language, you know, um, is becoming a thing. You know, that's how these different ministers can go from state to state. That's how they can talk. So there is a diplomatic language. I mean, I guess there was a diplomatic language in, in Assyrian stuff, right? They used to have a, you know, well, they would all speak Aramaic. But it really seems to me that China is ahead of the rest of the world in civilization, in a sense. Yeah. There's writing, there is bureaucracy, there is peace. Yeah. Like, can, that can be settled in agreements and stuff it seems far ahead of everything else it it is i think we'll find out when the warring states period it descends into some pretty brutal warfare so it's more of a gentlemanly thing right now and yeah. because all these dukes are actually related 700 years in the past but or you know 500 years in the past but technically they're still part of the same families Wow, thank you so much for oh, thank gathering you. this information on China. I will. Um, <laughs> thanks for letting me go through it. And we'll see what happens next time if we want to keep go- doing this way. But I'm going to, I also, last time I posted the, all this information, and I'll, I'll make a link and I'll, I'll post it again in case anybody wants to see it. And if there's any uh, Chinese speakers out there that want to help out with this, I would definitely welcome your input. In the next decade, we will also have uh, something about Rome, I hope. Oh, you're the Rome man. Yeah, but uh, Rome is way behind compared to China. Oh, yeah. I posted on the Facebook page um, a really good map, and it's a link. And I did the 550s. I said, this is your 550s BC um, companion map. And, um, well, it's also so interesting, too, because there's all these maps on it, right? It's like 1000 BC, this, that. It has like 
you know, big increments, and then it has 550 BC and 549 BC, because that's how much it changes, like <laughs> one year, you know? <laughs> and um, But Rome, like, so the big states have, you could see, and then the little states have numbers, and you have to look on the legend, and Rome is just like a little dot. <laughs> well, I have bad news for you now. Uh, there will not be a Roman episode in the 540s. Okay. The next Roman episode will be in the 530s. All right. Because I already okay. burned everything to make the episode in the 560s. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's just how it goes when we can't get a decade to decade. But I was thinking like how we, this is very granular. Like you really get to live in these decades, like as it happens. Like you, we mentioned, um, you know, the f- 550s going into the Persian Wars in Greece. And you were like, so basically we're going to have like a, you know, 50 year backstory happening. And yeah, we're going to really get granular on a lot of this stuff. So hang on and come for the ride. We sure will. Yeah. Uh, you'll check out our Facebook page, and you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com. Search for Fan of History. I think I think I I know you have an Instagram. I think I need to get a Facebook. I'm sorry, a, a Fan of History Instagram going. That's that's got to be on my radar. Oh, I generally haven't done an Instagram per podcast, but if you're willing, then I won't object. Oh, thank you. My problem is with these things is um, just like. The technical, I feel like I'm technical enough, but then I always, I don't know, like the my, the problem right now I have is my, and if anybody's good at that, let me know, my fan of history and personal Instagram are somehow mixed together and it gets very confusing. Somebody keeps sending me a message. Oh, are you talking about Facebook or Instagram? No, Instagram. The Facebook and fan of history, my personal and my business fan of history i'm fine with it's just for whatever reason the per the i just have to sit down and do it so anyway but i'll take any help i can get well uh, check out our patreon uh, patreon.com search for fan of history and if you like what we do please support us that would be great and tell a friend and also re- uh, give us some reviews yeah and uh Check us out again when we go into the 540s BC. Wow, we're really moving. We're getting closer to democracy. Yes, we are. Yeah. Not in China. No. (laughs) Anyway, thanks, guys, and thanks, Dan. We'll see you later. Thank you, Bernie. All right, cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.